This time on episode 350 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we'll be discussing Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 9, For Pete's Sake, and Episode 10, The Main Ingredient, and we'll be discussing the weekly Marvel news. I'm Andrew from the Dad.io podcast. Life supplies the inputs and we supply the outputs. Part of the Going to Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other fantastic and amazing geeky shows at goingtogeeknetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Haley. And welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. As you notice, we are missing our producer, so I'm pushing buttons instead of our producer SP. And unfortunately, Lauren is still recovering she's recovering and we hope she comes back soon this show is recorded on thursday september 17 2020 live from wherever <laughs> not really kind of live we're not quite live we're alive but the show is not yes we as people are alive but this broadcast is just going out into the ether we're sorry i don't know how to push all the buttons <laughs> Not all the buttons are labeled. Yeah, I know. There's a post-it on the floor. Yeah. All right. So, happy National Constitution Day, Haley. Constitutions are nice. Better when they're enforced, but what are you going to do? I know. Today is Constitution Day because this is when it was signed back in 1787. So that's why it's today, September 17th. Yeah, constitutions are nice when everyone realizes what they're for. Moving on. <laughs> Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan-based podcast on the Marvel Cinematic and comic book universes. Because of rich friends. If you have rich friends and you would like to talk about them, you can visit our website, legendsofshield.com. If you have rich friends that would like to share their credit card numbers, tell them to call 844-THE-BUS-1 to leave that information. That's 844-843-2871. If you want to get your answers to your rich friend security questions, give them one of those weird Facebook posts and have them, you know, complete, you know, their first grade teacher's last name and all that type of stuff. Because you can find us on Facebook at Legends of Shield Podcast. You can also just tweet us their contact information our twitter account is at legends of shield and you will see us on youtube at youtube.com slash gonna geek you can tell your amazon device to enable legends of shield skill you can join our discord server over at gonna geek.com slash discord and remember legends of shield is a proud member of the gonna geek.com network We are discussing episode nine for Pete's sake and episode 10, the main ingredient of Luke Cage. Luke Cage was dropped on Netflix June 22nd, 2018. 
The creative team behind For Pete's Sake. This episode was directed by Clark Johnson, who has 65 directing credits starting in 1993, including five episodes of Homicide Life on the Street, one Third Watch, one NYPD Blue, four of The Wire, seven episodes of The Shield, one Lost Girl, one Person of Interest, five Homeland, one Taken, two Luke Cage, one Snowfall, one of The Purge, and one City on the Hill. So a little bit of experience with uh, police procedurals. Yes, exactly. We got Third Watch, NYPD Blue, The Wire, The Shield, Homeland. Yeah, fits. It fits. Yep. This episode has two writers. First one is Ian Stokes. I got to say it's Stokes. (laughs) Has four writing credits starting in 2009, including six episodes of Warehouse 13, 17 Wolf, two Iron Fist, and two Luke Cage. Second writer is Matt Owens, has four writing credits starting in 2017, including four Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and three Luke Cage. So the main ingredient was directed by Andy Goddard. He has 30 directing credits starting in 1998. Those credits include seven episodes of Stacey Stone, two of Murphy's Law, one of Hex, six of Torchwood, one of Doctor Who, Five of Downton Abbey, one Daredevil, one Ironfish, two The Punisher, two Luke Cage, and three of Carnival Row. The episode was written by Akila Cooper. She has 11 writing credits starting in 2012. Those include three episodes of Grimm, three of The 100, four of Luke Cage, two of Avengers Assemble, and one of Chambers. And, of course, the showrunner and creator is Cheo Hodari Coker. Don't want to forget mentioning him. Now, we have For Pete's Sake and the main ingredient. So, Haley, what do you think For Pete's Sake means? I think it means I was right. That's what it means. I had theorized that the daughter was actually the daughter of Pete, Uncle Pete, and not of Dillard, whose first name I don't remember. And I was right. And it was a very sad scene where Mariah could no longer pretend to care about somebody that she didn't. And it was a little heartbreaking to see somebody say that about their own child. Yeah, that was that was a lot. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to have more to say about that. And uh, what about the main ingredient? Uh, well, the the more practical definition of the episode is, you know, it's the main ingredient in Bushmaster's secret potion. But it's also kind of about. Luke finding his main ingredient, finding his center again, because he's been a little bit off for most of the season. Yeah, I would have to agree because in the main ingredient, we get a visit from Danny Rand. And of course, that sort of comes about with, for Pete's sake, you know, before we had the Jamaicans coming into the police precinct and Luke determining that wasn't safe and that we ended with him saying, you know, let's call our rich friend. And of course, the rich friend was Danny Rand. So Luke, Misty, Tilda and Mariah all end up. And of course, James, dad, can't forget dad, end up at the Rand building. Of course, Mariah is making all these snide comments about like, who, how do you know him? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I got the password. And so they, they hold up. In this building, and it's really interesting that we have like a one location episode, but a lot 
actually happens. You wouldn't think a lot happens, but we first have that Luke versus Misty about how to treat Mariah. Do we give her a deal? Do we not give her a deal? And what did you think about their interaction? I think I mentioned this last time, but they're they're starting to have different agendas based on their current roles. And her current role, Misty's current role, is that she's the cop now, and she's not just a cop. She's in charge of all the cops. So I think she feels a greater sense of responsibility to make sure that she's following the letter of the law and doing the right thing as far as the law is concerned, as opposed to doing what might be in the grand scheme of things, more right, but kind of deviating from due process. Yeah, there is that whole, you know, having to come to terms with giving Mariah that immunity deal, because in this episode, there was the whole giving her that deal to where she gets to wash away the whole gun deal and get immunity for talking about turning in Bushmaster. And that's Misty stepping up in a way yeah. that I, that was unexpected. But she also says, I don't remember if it was in this episode or if it was in the next one, that Mariah is still Mariah. She's going to do something and we'll bust her for that instead. Yes, exactly. She does. She, I think that's this episode where, you know, Luke's right. You set her free and you have her do something stupid and she's going to do something stupid as we'll find out later. I really do want to talk about, let's just get the awful part out of the way. And that is Mariah and Tilda. And what we learn is that Dillard was a fantasy in a lot of ways. We find out that Jackson was gay. And unfortunately, there are many families who don't accept their child's sexuality and will do anything to erase it. So here's this smart woman with a promising career who cares if she has a child. She fits into our narrative and we will sell this narrative in order to erase this gayness from our doctor son and such. And she tried to play that widow after he died and to keep that Dillard name going but as time goes on she has sort of descended and realized that being a Stokes is all that she knows and really all that she can be and she finally tells Tilda the absolute truth yeah and not in a kind way either yeah I've gotten like uh, awful news in a cruel way as well. I'm going to talk about me again. So no, but my father was adopted and my adopted by his aunt. My great grandmother never liked the situation. So I'm 10 years old and she pulls me aside and she shows me this picture and she tells me that these are my grandparents. The people who I know as my grandparents are not my grandparents at all. And I'm 10 years old. And of course I'm crying you know, running home and crying because my worldview is is crashed and stuff. So does Tilda need to know the truth? Sure. Is there a better way that it could have happened? Yes. Yeah. Also, going back to Jackson Dillard being gay, 
I think it's easy to forget because the style of this show sometimes plays into some of the black exploitation stereotypes of the 70s. But the time period she's talking about is probably 30 something years ago. That's like the mid 80s is the time period that she grew up in and that she's talking about when she's talking about this period of her life. Yeah, exactly. And I was born a little bit before the 80s, not too much before. And my grandmother tried my so my parents went in April. I was born like in July. So I think you could do the math. No, oh, baby just came early. That's yeah, yeah, it came so early. My grandmother actually wanted to find a way to write this narrative to either have my parents actually lie that they were married the year before or actually lie about when I was born. So I really could, I sort of feel for Tilda about having your life being manipulated by people who are just wanting to write this narrative, whether it's the Dillard family or, Ma- or Mama Mabel. Yeah, it's all about the story that they're trying to tell. And the Stokes have rewritten their own history in the public eye on many other things as well. That's kind of been part of the story of season one and season two of the show. So also in Pete's sake, we find out a little bit more about Bushmaster and why he needs the he needs that nightshade so bad, right? And he's going to be doing whatever it is. And he he actually increases the bounty on their heads, the three million each, not because of the injustice, but because he needs the nightshade. So I think I missed how that helps him get the nightshade. Well, because he needs Tilda. Okay. Because he goes to the to her store. There's no more nightshade. He realizes that he needs it and to get it, he needs her. Yeah. So he's thinking that, you know, where the mother is, the daughter's going to be. So let's just offer $3 million for both. Why not? It's only money. It's only money. And someone takes him up on it. You offer enough money, everyone's willing to turn. Yeah, Nandi. Were you surprised that it was Nandi? Yeah, well, a few things. Like... I had just started liking her, so of course she had to turn. But at first I was like, oh, it's going to be the white cop that's setting her up. But I was like, no, last time it was the white cop. I'm just used to it when there's like one white cop in a story that's like all people that are not white men. It's like, oh, of course that's the bad guy. But I guess we did that last season, so we had to do something else this season. Yeah, and then she tells him, and then of course Bushmaster rolls up with his army to the Rand building and he tries to negotiate with Luke again. Well, yeah, because Luke isn't his real enemy. Like it's kind of a a challenge, like establishing himself as top dog, but he already did that. So he doesn't need to do that again. Yeah. Also not really in a position to do that again at the moment. (laughs) True. And there is that moment where you uh, where Luke is like, you know, why shouldn't I just hand Mariah over? And he looks at Mariah and Mariah, you know, he's like, Mariah, what would you do? And she's just like, I would have like tossed you to the wolves the moment I heard their music come up because they, of course, rolled up with the music. I love it. They just got they have a brand and they're they're sticking to it. 
And there's a big old fight when they're rolling because Luke decides to toss. Is that a, is it a filing cabinet or like one of those really big desks or something? He tosses out the window. Some piece of office equipment. I was watching this on a very small screen, so I couldn't tell exactly what it was, but it was not small. No, no. And he goes down and then it's Bushmaster versus Luke part two, part three, part three. It's part three. Yeah. Got to count, Michelle. Got to count. Counting's hard. Yeah. It's a good fight. It is. And then, of course, they invade the building. Misty holds her own. Yeah, Misty always holds her own. Even when she only has one arm. <laughs> Mariah gets the gun. And she holds it like a diehard, that sort of action guy, like kind of like at the hip. And she's all like, kiss my black. Can we say ass on this? I don't know. But she says ass. If it needs to be bleeped, I'm sorry. But that's what she says. And she's just like shooting guys. She kills a lot of people in this episode. Yeah. And then she has her immunity deal, but she leaves. Well, yeah. So this is kind of like part of the story of season one and into season two. Cottonmouth was the guy who never really wanted to be involved in the family's criminal business, but was forced to by the family. And Mariah is the one that deep down always wanted to be involved in the criminal business and was kind of directed out of it by the family. So both of them just kind of being forced to live the life that the other one wanted. And she's fully embracing that Stokes life that she wanted uh, in this episode. Yeah. It goes deeper because, of course, at the end, Shades finds Mariah and Shades has the uncle. And in between that episode and the main ingredient is like three days or so. So it's basically kind of like three days later. And uh, who shows up? Who shows up? Tell me. Danny Rand. Oh, yeah. Danny shows up. Danny shows up. She always need a rich friend. Always need that rich friend. And... <laughs> Luke apologizes for the building, but Danny's like, you know, I'm not really doing anything with the business. So, like, I don't know. I don't care. It's fine. Insurance will pay for it. And we've already seen Iron Fist. You have. I have not. Yeah. So that lackadaisical attitude that he has in this episode that's Iron Fist season two right there. It's just that little nugget spread out over 10 episodes. It's easy to not care about money if you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, because Luke makes that point that money is power. Well, Danny, Danny's all like, hey, I'm Danny Rand. I fought a dragon. I'm the immortal Iron Fist. Nobody believes that he fought a dragon. I love that. And he's just like, man, you gotta, you gotta find your inner chi. You've gotta like relax. And there's that scene in the barber shop when Luke is just sitting there watching Danny, and Danny's all like, you know, gotta meditate because there's power in silence. There's power in just being still. And Luke really doesn't go for that. It's not really his style. No, it's not. What do we think of the Danny-Luke dynamic? So I wish they had gotten to do more with it because if, if you're anybody that knows the comics, then you know that 
Power Man and Iron Fist are a crime fighting duo in the long run. I kind of think that's probably where the Netflix universe intended to go was to eventually have those two interacting a lot more. But I still deep down don't like Danny Rand. Can't be helped. So, yeah, it's I don't know if it was just how he's written or the casting. It just wasn't a good combination with how Iron Fist went. And unfortunately, it it really tell you can really kind of tell the weak points in Danny when you like, compare him to Luke and everybody else who has who's such rich characters. But Danny comes along and who's just like, I'm rich. I solve all my problems with either buying all the buildings at the end, uh, which we'll get to talk to more or just, you know, taking Luke to um, the top of this building. And Danny's like, yeah, my dad used to bring me here like all the time because we're rich and I could get here. Um, it's just, that was a lot. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't help that we've had a lot of rich superheroes before Danny. Um, you know, we've, we have Batman, Iron Man, Dr. Strange, Arrow was on the air for eight years. Like we've had the rich superhero, like it's time for something else. Yes. And we're getting even more Batman because we just don't know enough about that character. Anyway. Uh, all the Batmans all the Batmans every single one of them I really want to talk about so last episode we talked I talked last episode about how you know Alfred Woodard's performance made me like Mariah even though I was supposed to despise her and I said I don't know what Mariah could do to you know make me like completely hate her now, at the end of Main Ingredient, she decides to take the uncle, parade him down the street, which Shade seems to be on board with for a bit. They go to the restaurant, and it's Shade seems to think that they're going to just make a statement, maybe intimidate a few people. Mariah, on the other hand, decides to have everyone shot, um, including people who were just there eating dinner, and then burning the uncle alive. And that, yeah, uh, there's no turning back for Mariah. I don't think there's any coming back uh, for Mariah from this. Alfred Water's performance has been amazing for me to, you know, it takes lighting someone on fire for me to absolutely now detest Mariah. What about you? Yeah. So I, I told Michelle this before the show, but when I was watching this, that's when my streaming service froze. So I was stuck with buffering with the guy on fire as the thing that the screen was frozen on for a good minute on top of however long that scene was on its own. So yeah, not a fan of the woman who's setting people on fire in general. Yeah, and she goes full Cornell because one of the things I did is I actually went back and I watched Manifest from season one right after I watched these two episodes. And there's some great connections from back and forth. And one of the things is I forgot Cornell had that picture of Biggie. 
Mm-hmm. So you, it went from the picture of Biggie to that painting. And then when Bushmaster had it for a bit, it was, you know, the picture that he had. Mariah doesn't go back to the painting. She goes as she puts that picture of Biggie back up. Because she's the king now. Yeah. Well, the queen. Harlem needs a queen, as she says. Yeah. So she's really Mariah Stokes now. Yeah. She calls herself Stokes towards the end of this episode. She's not going by Dillard anymore. Dillard was always a mask that she was wearing and a role that she was playing, and it's not who she is. And going forward, she's going to be her all the way, as bad as it is for everybody else. That's who she's going to be. What I find interesting is when I rewatched that season one episode, and also if you remember in the episode where Shades and Che was talking in the barbershop and Shades mentioning that he was actually thinking about going to kill Cornell because he was getting obsessed with Luke Cage and all this type of stuff. And he was thinking about killing Cottonmouth. Shades walks away at the end of this episode. Is Hernan the voice of reason in all of this? I think he's always been a very practical person. He's much more controlled in general than the people he works for, except when he was uh, dealing with Comanche. That was a very personal issue for him, and he was not in control then. But in general, he is a very in-control person. Uh, And he's in a situation where he does not have control. Yeah. I haven't watched beyond this. I don't know if you have. I have not. What do you think he's going to do? Like, do you think he's just going to walk away and take his money and sail into the sunset? Or do we think he's going to try to get Mariah? I'm not saying he's going to team up with Luke Cage. I don't think Hernan's going to team up with Luke Cage, but. I think he's going to make a deal with somebody. I don't know who, but he's going to cover his own word that we're not allowed to say. Yeah, he's going to protect himself. Yeah. In these episodes, we also seem to have a conclusion to the Luke father, you know, the father-son drama between Luke and James. There's scenes in uh, the first episode in the building, and James talks about the pressure that Luke's under. He doesn't want him to succumb to the darkness, and he mentions that you're under pressure, but it's the how you react determines the hero that you're going to be and it looks like at the end he was going to go back to georgia is that what it seems like to you i'm not sure i i would probably have to watch again but i i know he wanted to go back to his church at least yeah he yeah he invited luke to go back to georgia with him and luke was luke said to him what he says to danny at the end of the main ingredient i'm not done yet You know, I still have stuff to do in Harlem. It wouldn't surprise me if that would have been part of season three is him going back to Georgia, going back to his home, which we haven't really seen. Yeah, that would have been nice. If this is the last episode of James, again, we don't know. If this is the last episode of James and this is the last, you know, Luke, you know, father-son exchange, how do you feel about how their relationship went through these episodes i think it worked out really well they got to talk through all the stuff in their past which they both have a lot of baggage in their past that they had to work through to 
together. And it seems like they're in a much better place. They're in a place where they could have a relationship going forward. You know, neither of them is forgetting anything that happened, but forgiving enough that they can have a relationship. Yeah, I would agree. I'm glad it just wasn't an, hey, son, I'm sorry. Oh, dad. And that was it. It's all, all is forgiven. Yeah, they really had some good conversations. They had some good confrontations. He, James actually admitted, you know, why he was really angry at Luke and it has to do with like the mother being sick with cancer. And he actually said everything, you know, that's good you got from her. Make sure you remember the good that you've gotten from her. And I do like his remark. He's like, I did get something good from you. And that's, of course, the swagger. Like, I like that comment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do have the same swagger. And, and I think James got a better send off than Claire did. We got a name drop from Claire in this episode. But one of these two episodes, I, I don't remember what oh. the line was. Yeah. So I I think his story was better served this season than hers was. Yeah, because Luke mentions Claire and how she's gone. And then we find out at the end of the main ingredient that Danny's like, yeah, Claire called me to check on you because of your anger. What? Like she called Danny? I mean, who else is she going to call? Colleen. Colleen Misty. doesn't really have a relationship with Luke. Misty, maybe. Yeah. Jessica, no. No. I think Matt's dead at this point, so no. Yeah. It kind of just would have been nice to have had Claire back again somehow because... I know. That whole, yeah, I'm here because this person who just left called me. That was... Well, to be fair, if you're going to call somebody who's got nothing but time on their hands... (laughs) Yes. The rich kid who doesn't have to work for anything but doesn't care about money. Yeah, I I have to admit I didn't I didn't need it because I really think Daddy had a reason to come by because of the whole building thing. I didn't think he also, also needed yeah. They they called him an episode ago. Like that's why he came, because you called and then you destroyed my building. So I thought I'd check in. Yeah. Uh I have to admit that I really like the fight at the end at the grow house. You know, Danny seems to have gotten, thinks he's gotten Luke to a good place. And of course, they had to find uh, the grow house from a rat's point of view. So we got Turk in the legitimately selling marijuana. Turk's a nice thread to have through the universe. Yeah, it is. And it was such a good fight. We finally got to see Danny with his fist and some good fight choreography. Luke goes in, punches some people, does his thing. And then they actually had the patty cake maneuver where Danny lights up his fist and he's actually, you know, hits Luke in the palm and he got that big force of energy just whoosh. And I am like, yes, this is Power Man and Iron Fist in action. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that we don't get to see more of them as a crime fighting duo to see what other moves they might have come up with to combine their powers. Yeah, and then like Luke, uh, Luke even tosses Danny to take care of those last two guys. It's like yes, and then they find out Bushmaster's not there. He's not successfully growing the nightshade. Danny calls a few people. They torch the place. And that's fine. Why, why is it fine that they just torch the place? 
Why is it necessary, too? There was one tiny little plant. It would have been easy to set on fire and not burn down the whole building. Yeah, but Daddy's also like, hey, I bought this place. I could burn it down if I want to. Who cares if I put the adjoining buildings in danger? Also, yeah, you can't just burn down buildings because you own them. There's a whole, like, arson division for that. Don't do it. Yeah, it's true. Even if you don't file an insurance claim, even if you don't want to press charges, setting your own house on fire is illegal because of the endangerment that you put others around. And you also, oh yeah, the fire department comes around and they don't like it when you set your own house on fire. So you can get in trouble. I know Danny's got lawyers and such, but it's Danny. Yeah, there, there will be no consequences for him. But just so you know, everyone listening at home for legal advice, don't set your house on fire. It's talking about lawyers down over its back. Because where the money is. I know. He's like, oh, that money's gone. Oh, I'm back. And I like how he tries to spin it. Oh, I'm, oh, I just, I'm here and I'm doing the right thing. I found out this information for you that Piranha did this under duress. So because I found that out for you, I can now give you all your assets back. I'm such a good guy. I think he realized that uh, Bushmaster is probably not the right boat to be on, like a little unsteady, maybe not the best guy to tie your fortunes to. Yeah, exactly. So do you have anything else you want to talk about when it comes to these two episodes? I don't think so. I feel like we, we hit everything. Yeah. And, um, just for those of you, I don't know if you're watching this the first time, rewatching this, I do suggest you go back and rewatch Manifest, which is season one, episode seven. Um, that's the episode where Mariah kills Cottonmouth. There's a lot of callbacks. There is the discussion about Uncle Pete and the way Cottonmouth Cornell talks to Mariah about Uncle Pete. And that is what sets her off and why she does hit him with the bottle and sets that off. You get the gun, you get the flashback to when Cornell has that gun when he's a kid and he's forced to kill Uncle Pete. So there's a lot of, if you're wondering how good the writing staff of Luke Cage is and if they actually remember what's going on, they do. It's, it's really great to um, go back to that episode watching this, especially since, you know, we have that transformation of Mariah Dillard finally becoming Mariah Stokes. Yeah. Yeah. So we are both going to find out what happens next because next Thursday we are going to talk about Luke Cage, season two, episode 11, The Creator, and episode 12, Can't Front on Me. We do have a news item. Yeah, so we've talked about it a little bit. It's been a while, but She-Hulk is one of the new shows that's coming to Disney+. Plus, and they have cast the titular role of She-Hulk. And it's going to be Tatiana Maslany, probably best known to us at least and most of our listeners, from Orphan Black. I love this casting. I know a lot of people are going to say that she needs to hit the gym. But it's Marvel, and as we all know, Marvel pays very well when it comes to getting their actors trained for physical roles. And 
just watching a couple episodes of Orphan Black, it doesn't matter what season, watching her go from just being Sarah to pretending to being, you know, Helena or whatever, just all those different clones. It's just, you know, Rachel, it's just fascinating how she was able to do that. She, she's very talented. She can hold her own and then some. Yeah, she won an acting Emmy for a genre show. That's how good she was. Yeah. So I think this is good. They're also, yeah, they've also got a a director, Kat Corio. Coiro? Yeah. Sorry, we pronounced pronounce the names. We're so sorry. You know, she's directing several episodes, including a pilot. So we've got directors and writers, and now we've got a leading actor. So it seems as though this show will eventually come to us. And I'm happy. I really, I'm, I'm one of the people that wanted She-Hulk to be part of the Avengers. So it's nice that we're going to get a She-Hulk series. Yeah. And it's a character that I feel like a lot of people really don't know anything about. So it'll be fun to see what they choose to do with her. Yeah, because they don't actually have to go with the lawyer route. They could do something else. I mean, it's just, it's wide open. We've got a lot of lawyers in the Marvel Universe, it seems like. Yeah, I think they could go to a different place with this. Or she works for Jerry Hogarth, one of the two. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that is, that would be a lot. That would be... Oh, gosh, then we could, could we get foggy because, oh, my goodness, because the rights are slowly reverting back to Marvel because the two years are starting to come up since everything's being canceled. So if the rights slowly start going from Netflix to Marvel, Marvel hasn't said what they're going to do with any of this. So, oh, gosh, Haley, that's such a <laughs> why did you do that? That made me happy in a way that I probably should not be. It's a hope. I know it's I remember when all of these shows started to be canceled, we were like, well, they're never going to be able to do this again with these characters, because by the time the rights are back to them, the iron's going to be cold. They're not going to be able to make anything work again. And now it's coming back. And it's like, yeah, they could do it. We're still talking about it. It helps that we're like two year, two and a half years behind on talking about these shows. But sure. Keep the universe going. Yes. <sighs> well. That again, it's going to be on Disney Plus. So whenever a new TV series, sorry, we didn't talk, we didn't say it was going to be on Disney Plus, but I think I did. The assumption, yeah, every, basically that's wherever they're going to do any sort of TV and stuff now, it's going to be on Disney Plus. So it's not Hulu anymore, not Netflix anymore. It's all Disney Plus. And except when they sometimes put it on Hulu. Yeah, but I think that, I think Hellstrom's it. I think that's going to be it for uh, Marvel on Hulu. I think if they do anything that's got more adult themes, they might push it over to Hulu. Yeah. We can only help. Only help. All right. All right. So, Haley, why don't we uh, grab our immunity deal and run our way out of this? All right. Let's throw it all away. Yeah. Well, want to thank everyone for listening and downloading. We appreciate however you consume this and for sticking with us all this time. Uh, yeah, thank you to everyone that's been listening. Um, we're about to, f we've got a couple episodes left of Luke Cage before we get to the next thing. And 
I can't remember if we had decided what the next thing is going to be yet or not, but feel free to chime in on any of the ways we have for you to get in touch with us and let us know what you think we should be talking about next. Indeed. So until next time, I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm Agent Haley. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Would you say something? Talking, talking words, talking good words, talking the best words. Is that enough words? Yes, that is enough words. All right. Would you say something? Talking, talking words, talking good words, talking the best words. Is that enough words? Yes, that is enough words. All right. So I was watching this on my phone at work and it froze at that point of the guy being set on fire. Oh, my God. Really? So he was on fire for a really long time while it buffered. Ooh, that's ooh, that's a lot. <laughs> Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2020.